My name's Jo Wise, and this is Wise Women, the podcast. In my book, I'm a Woman, I quote a Native American proverb which states that the world will know a thousand years of peace when women have healed their hearts. I believe that one way for women to heal their hearts is to share their stories. Just like in ancient times, when our female ancestors would gather at the full and new moons in tune with their cycles to cleanse their experiences together. On this podcast, I'll be asking women from all walks of life to share their stories. Not only to give a voice to the wisdom they discovered during some of their greatest life challenges, but also to remind you of your deepest wisdom too. This is Wise Women. Sharing stories, sharing wisdom. Ellen Arthur is a yoga teacher originally from Australia, but now living, working and serving in Bali at a studio called The Practice. Elle was guided to the yoga mat by a friend in 2011 while she was navigating her way through a difficult relationship and her own inner battle with the voice of self-attack. And what she found and continues to find is not only strength in her body, but strength in her mind and her spirit too. As well as teaching yoga, Elle, who has also worked as a professional musician, loves to share her passion for mantra. And in this podcast, she talks more about her story, but also what mantra is and why it's so transformative. Hi, how are you, Jo? Really good. Uh, Welcome to the Wise Woman podcast. Now, thanks. We met in Bali, where you are now. Sadly, I'm back in the UK. But my first question really is, how did you end up living in Bali? Because you, you're an Oz, aren't you? You're an Aussie. Yes, I am an Aussie. I was living in Sydney for a while and um, I ended up in Bali. I moved here last year and um, my teacher, Octavio, who owns the studio, The Practice, which is where you and I uh, crossed paths, he is also Australian and he came to Sydney to do a workshop and I was, yeah, just pretty impressed and mesmerized by the man. He's very charismatic and he has a lot to, to share on the topic of yoga. He's an incredible teacher. So I would just come over and do trips and do have little holidays here and I ended up doing my teacher training with him. Then I was just really blessed and it was all divine timing and uh, he asked me to move over and, and teach full-time for him. So, yeah, that's the story in a nutshell. <laughs> well, let's talk about your office because you teach at a yoga studio called The Practice, which you mentioned in, in Changu, which is set in yeah. a, a rice paddy. Now, architecturally, this place is something else. It's open air, yet fully covered with, you know, widescreen views from the upstairs studio with an enormous vaulted ceiling, all made from natural materials, mm. I'm guessing from bamboo. I mean, how how yeah. much do you love teaching there? I am obsessed with teaching there. <laughs> I I thought that um, you know, you get used to your surroundings pretty quickly, but there is not a single day, and I really mean this, that I don't walk up those stairs to the top shala, to the top uh, studio, and just think, wow, here I am teaching in this space again. It's so, like you said, the ceiling is a. Uh, it's like a a dome shape. So it's got a really high ceiling and, um, natural materials, like you said, and it's just so beautiful, so open, so sacred. Um, 
yeah, I'm very, very, very blessed. And yeah, to call it an office is hilarious, <laughs> but I guess it kind of is. Uh, Although, having yeah. said that, Al, I did have one experience where a gecko uh, dropped from that ceiling right next to my <laughs> oh, mat yeah. in the middle yeah. of a forward fold. And you have all yeah. life forms in there, don't you? I think I met a cat and I saw a yeah. few bats as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on in there. I don't know how those geckos don't fall from such <laughs> great heights and die, but they just like keep uh, running along once they hit the ground. It's pretty impressive. But yeah, no, it's... um. There's a lot of abundance in that space, that's for sure. Have they ever landed on somebody during a meditation, a quiet meditation? Because I thought if it landed on me <laughs> when it was a quiet time, I think I would have screamed. Freaked, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've we've had some encounters. No one's ever screamed, but it's always been like... <gasps> like yeah, a, like oh. a gasp. Okay, I was being a bit dramatic, yeah. I think. But yeah, I probably would have <laughs> yeah. gasped. Now, one of the things that I love most about the practice was that I felt like my classes were the first ever classes. Everything was so pristine without being intimidating. All the equipment, mm. all the studios, the garden, the facilities, and the teachers, who were world-class, by the way, somehow mm. tailored the classes for everyone in the room, whether they were long-term residents of Bali or travellers passing through yep. for a few hours. How do you do that? Yep. How do you pitch the classes at the beginners and also the people that are coming, you know, daily? Mm, that's such a good question. I, I feel like I've unconsciously, you know, been aware that that's what I'm doing, but I haven't really thought about it in those terms before. I guess it is, it is tricky. I would say that, you know, the people that come to classes, sometimes you, you see them once and then you'll never see them again. So forming a relationship with your students is a little bit interesting and somewhat hard some days but I don't know there is a there is a lot of skill involved I guess you can say and I've been teaching for a few years now but to be able to judge a room in um, the healthiest of ways judging a room and yeah and seeing who is here and and creating space for the array of people that show up people that have never practiced before people that have practiced for years I guess you just give um I don't know. That's such a great question. But I, I think I just have to be really mindful of who is in the room and just be really honest with where I'm at, at um, in that class and just show up and just be open and honest and raw with my students. And I feel like students are so receptive. They meet you there. Yes. So I feel, yeah. Well, if it was a good it's question, a question. <laughs> if it was a good question, it was an even better answer. Mm, thank you. Love it. Okay, so <laughs> today right. we're, we're going to talk a little bit about how yoga and mantra have transformed you, mantra especially, because that was the class I came and met you at. But yeah. first, I want to talk about your life before that, because I understand you weren't in a good place, where you? There was a real point in your life where you found yoga and mantra. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like, you know, it's a bit cliche, but... Uh... There's always something that kind of enables yoga to find you or you find yoga. But I was just in a very un unhealthy relationship and it was mirroring my unhealthy relationship was, you know, filtering into everything that I did. And I was just becoming very stuck and stagnant and not a happy person. So um, I... Yeah, I think my one of my close friends just kind of saw that from the outside and was like, "Hey, how about you um 
come to yoga with me and just get some space from your life and space from the man. And, um, yeah, I did. And I was, I've always been a really flexible and strong and fit person and kind of obsessed with moving the body. And yeah, so yoga was a very easy transition for me in regards to the physical. I feel like it's still taken me a really long time and I'm still working on that obviously to clear out a lot of mental baggage and a lot of mental or emotional scarring from, from my younger years, you know, just like treating, treating myself not so greatly, a lot of self-loathing and I'm a perfectionist. So nothing was ever good enough. And I, yeah, it's exhausting, but I feel like since, since practicing yoga and definitely since, uh, my immersion into mantra has absolutely began the shift of, of my mind and my and choosing uh, healthier thought patterns mm. and ideas of myself. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because we talk a lot on this podcast about uh, the voice of self-attack and uh, you were talking mm. about that there. Do you feel like you're, and I loved what you said about the relationship mirroring things to you. Do you think... Mm that relationship was almost mirroring your own inner voice as well. Yeah, absolutely. Not at the time. I thought that he was just the worst person in the world <laughs> and it was all his fault. But in hindsight, absolutely. I, um, I definitely didn't make it easy on myself, that's for sure. And do you, I'm fascinated as well by the idea of your voice as self-attack, because like I say, it's something we talk about an awful lot on this podcast. Do you yeah. ever get to a place where, uh, using yoga, do you ever get to a place where that completely goes? I would say I have glimpses of it. But it's, um, and like we say, we say, uh, well, my teacher Octavio says often that our our mental thought patterns have a lot of power and to overcome them, we have to, we have to invigorate a lot of power, a lot of mental positivity to be able to overcome them. So yeah, my, my unhealthy thought patterns are still there. Even this morning with, with my boyfriend who is incredible. Um, yeah, I just found myself self-loathing and blaming and victimizing and all of the stuff keeps coming up. I would say I get glimpses of um, clarity and glimpses of bliss or um, space between thoughts when I'm either chanting or in meditation. And I, so at least I have that glimpse, you know, I know it's possible to not always be thinking in these, these patterns. Yeah, I can really relate to that as well, Al. For me, I, yeah. when people ask me about it, I often say that you know, I still go down the hole sometimes, but I don't go oh, down yeah. as deep and I, yeah. it takes me a lot less time to get out now. That is so true. That is very <laughs> true. Yeah, you can catch yourself a little bit quicker Yeah, and be like, hey, what, why are you doing that to yourself again? Stop it. Yeah, exactly. And I heard a teacher say once, and this teacher, mm. she's called Miranda McPherson, and I've mentioned her to you already, Elle, because you could be her yeah. sister, seriously. You're so alike. And yeah. she, she's an Aussie too. But Miranda That's says awesome. that for people that are spiritual seekers, it's quite common to have that voice of self-attack. And actually, I think it comes, she says, you know, if you chart it back and back and back and back and back, it comes from mm. our original disconnection from from that source. Yeah, absolutely. And how society will just continue to push us for 
further away from that source or that spirit or that beautiful part of ourself that is stable and calm and resilient and loving yeah yeah exactly that and like you say there are layers mm. upon layers leading back to that source oh. including of our childhood our family beliefs our generational yeah. beliefs our ancestral beliefs our oh, cultural yeah. beliefs it just goes <laughs> on and on and on so it's not surprising so yeah. many people have these thoughts if they're deep thinkers yeah if they're deep thinkers and if they're sensitive and yeah absolutely yeah yeah okay well let's talk about the antidote to those thoughts which for you was yoga and meditation and mantra mantra which is um oh my goodness that evening with you Elle was absolutely Mm. profound for me Uh, what for people that don't know let's focus this on mantra first of all for people that don't know what what is it how do you describe it the way that uh you experienced it with me we were chanting mantra through the form of kirtan which is um, usually with instruments, melody and music and singing, and it's usually call and response. So I would uh, say a line in Sanskrit and then it would be responded that same um, by whoever is in the room. That same Sanskrit line would be, um, yeah, would be the response. And it's through this type um, type of experience of mantra that creates you know, such a beautiful, cohesive community kind of a vibe in wherever you are, wherever you're doing it. In this case, we're doing it at the practice. But it gets people off yoga mats and sitting in a room of like-minded people where we're all free to sing or not sing and experience this incredibly powerful tool that is mantra. The word mantra if you break it down, it actually translates to mind illuminator. Oh, wow. So what we're, yeah, or mind protector. So what you're doing when you're chanting, and it's always very repetitive. Um, so you're chanting over and over and over again. And what that begins to do is, is lull the mind into this space where it's not getting so attached, like we were talking about before, to um, habitual thinking or things that take us out of presence or Um, you know, things that are unhealthy, we start to spin the mind in a healthy pattern. Mm. So yeah, if that, I hope that clarifies. But um, absolutely. I suppose uh, another question I wanted to ask was so many, not all, but so many mantras are in Sanskrit. So Mm -hmm. how do people kind of grasp singing in a completely different language and often words that they don't understand and sometimes mm. are untranslatable. Yeah, exactly. That's what, um, that's what's so sattvic, uh, sattvic is pure. That's what's so pure about, um, mantra and, and singing in Sanskrit is because Sanskrit, it's, it's so hard to, um, translate it into English because these words, uh, have been, well, these sounds have been heard by great sages, great rishis, great yogis who sat in deep meditation and actually heard these sounds. They weren't created by the, um, by the, you know, um, the mind attaching a word to an object. Like that is a chair. That is a, I'm just looking in my room. That is a guitar. <laughs> that is a dog. Um, <laughs> they don't have these words. They don't have objects attached to them. They are sound bodies that are full of 
vibrancy and uh, frequency and vibration that um, ultimately all of these mantras are deep within our own body. We are, we are made up of sound and vibration. So we're just chanting to these frequencies within our own bodies that ultimately illuminate our mind and free us from the unconscious mind. I think for me personally, it, it, it helps relieve my mind chanting in Sanskrit because I don't have an attachment to what the words specifically mean. My yes. mind can be free. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's so beautifully put. I think one yeah. of the things that happened for me as well, Al, which you might be able to explain is you introduced me to a mantra for Ganesha. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, I'd never heard this mantra before. And yeah. for some reason, it started singing me. I wasn't singing it. It started singing me. And the words, I had no idea what the words were, but somehow mm. they came out as if I'd known my whole life. How, mm. how did that work? Wow. How did that happen? <laughs> That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. It's, um, it's one of the great mysteries as well. And this is the whole idea because you can um, you can chant mantra mantra japa style, which maybe um, some listeners have heard of before, where you use mala beads and you're chanting um, one mantra one uh, yeah mantra per bead. So there's usually 108 beads, and the intention is to chant until your no your mind is no longer chanting but like you so perfectly said that the that the mantra is chanting you mm. so there's not a single part of yourself that is efforting and uh you actually are subsumed or consumed by the mantra yeah that's exactly what happened yeah that's incredible and ganesh i feel i have a i can understand how that would happen ganesh is the elephant headed deity that uh, helps us to remove our obstacles, and they can be physical, mental, emotional, karmic obstacles. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense that that, that, that overcame you and, and helped to guide you, and that's a, that's a beautiful one to, to drop in on. Yeah, exactly that. And to make that connection in that moment was yeah. so powerful, and I've actually brought it home with me as well. So most days I will... I was singing, wow. probably not very well, um, <laughs> that mantra. And actually, on the subject of singing, it's worth saying, mm. Elle, that you are an accomplished musician and you're used to singing um, and you play different instruments. Yeah. But you don't have to necessarily be an amazing singer to do this, do you? No. And I think, yeah, so I have, um, I've been singing since I can remember and I studied music and I... Uh, you know, jazz singer, contemporary pop singer, wedding singer. I've done all the things where, um, you know, I'm on a stage singing at people. And I think that's why I, because like I said previously that I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I never felt that a gig that I did was ever good. I just was always focused on what I could improve on. And then when I found mantra and the repetition of it and the simple fact that it does not matter what it sounds like, it was, I felt like the weight of the world uh, <laughs> was lifted off my shoulders. I'm still absolutely, you know, I still care very deeply about what it sounds like coming out of my mouth, but my attachment to it has softened and I feel like that's been 
a really big part of this practice and why I gravitate toward it and continue to come back to it is that it doesn't matter what it sounds like and um, it doesn't even matter if you sing. That's another beautiful thing. You can sit and absorb mantra just by listening to it, by being in the space um, surrounded by it. So, yeah, I try to I try to tell people that, but society has kind of screwed us with the whole X factors and doing the thing on the TV where they get so critically judged by you know, the singing voice, we all have a voice and we all should be able to, to use it when we see fit. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And also I suppose there's something so incredible about singing, uh, that kind of sacred, those sacred Mm. words, I should say with a community of people. It's one thing singing it on your own, which I've been doing since I got back, but the feeling of being together and singing it's, uh, I've said this before, it's church-like, but it's not church. Yeah, I would agree. And I, that's, I often have a conversation about, uh, to my friends who aren't, you know, aren't practicing yogis, but, um, they're like, oh no, that's not really my thing. You know, it sounds a bit religious. It sounds a little bit culty, but wow. And then I just, I just let them, I don't ever pressure anyone to do anything, but, um, yeah, to be chanting, essentially we're chanting to the divine, we're chanting to God, however that word resonates with you. But uh, we're also chanting to the, to the guru or to the teacher, to the God within, within our own hearts. And for it to not feel religious or culty is, yeah, it blows my mind. And I grew up religious and I've done all the all the prayers and I, I've, I know what that feels like and this does not feel like that. No. And I think once you have an experience of it, like I did with you, that it was almost as if, El, I know you call him Ganesh or Ganesha, it was almost as if yeah. I could feel uh, the presence in the room and he was just loving the fact that we were adoring him. <sighs> and I was getting oh, all these electric shocks up and down my body while I was, or this mantra was coming through me. Um, honestly, it was such an experience. And I think once you've had that experience uh, or something like it, you, it can't mm. be denied. It can't be denied. That's exactly right. And it also can't really be explained. Like you just explained no. it very well. <laughs> Brings tears to my eyes. But it's, it's, that's, that's it. Like once you've had it, you, it's unexplainable. And you don't necessarily want more of it. But then you become open to wanting more yeah. or, or, or searching or having, you know, conversations like the one we're having now. It just continues to lead on to more abundance, really. Yeah. It's just connecting you into to love, to, to the breath, to the di- divine body that we're able to live in, to the universe, to the mother. So that just leads to more and more love if you're open to it. Absolutely. Well, mm. I know you've had a bad throat, Elle, so I'm not suggesting you sing now. There might be a spoken one. But is, <laughs> there, is there any mantra you could introduce us to? today a a simple one that people could do um Mm. you know even if they're brand new to it yeah i mean the ganesh one is always um something like i always start with a ganesh mantra because like i said he's the remover of obstacles perfect yeah do you want me to just sing a few lines i'd love you to and if people at first the um i suppose the lyrics can sound quite 
difficult but you can google yeah. them and just listen to keep playing this bit of l back on your podcast and you will eventually yeah. start to pick it up yeah exactly and the i think that's the beauty of kirtan as well is that it has these mantras have a melody connected to it that help to um help you to remember that's what yes. melody does you know yeah so this is um i don't know which one which ganesh we chanted when you were there but it's probably this one okay it's so weird that I'm just going to do it a cappella with no instruments, but that's cool. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Ganesha Sharanam Sharanam Ganesha Ganesha Sharanam Sharanam Ganesha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Ganesha Sharanam Ganesha Ganesha Sharanam Sharanam Ganesha Oh my goodness, thank you so much. Amazing, <laughs> I loved You're it. Welcome. And it's so funny, Elle, because um, before we Was started... Was that the version? That was the version. Yeah, exactly that. And I sing it every day now, pretty much. But um, before we started this interview, I bought in my statue of Mm. Ganesha and next Mm. to him as well, because every day now I bring him flowers. Um, Oh, beautiful. There's a wild rose next to him, which my mum gave me a few days ago. So Mm. that really is the impact that that mantra has had on me. And there's, there's a whole world of these to explore. There really is. Wow. And they're, yeah, they're, um, there's millions. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. So, so incredible. I wanted to mention yoga just really quickly as well, because uh, I know that's such a big part of your life, Elle. How does the yeah. the mantra fit in with yoga? Do they tie in seamlessly? Is that the natural progression to people who are yogis and vice versa? Um, I would say, I would say it's not the natural progression in the world that we live in in regards to what we perceive as yoga um but traditionally yes i would say that mantra is um is the heart of the entire practice of the yoga tradition and um yeah like we kind of think that yoga is asana yoga is moving the body but yoga is mantra yoga is sound yoga is connection bhakti it's devotion um it's love and it's it's what we are able to share with the world it's got very little to do with the physical body actually it's more um 
How can we be of service to the world? How can we live uh, joyful, abundant, loving lives so that we can be inspiring humans of this world and help to lift consciousness, the collective consciousness? I know that sounds really deep, but um, yeah, mantra mantra is it. Mantra is the, the heartbeat. That's the whole reason why we practice so that we can then drop into states where we are no longer attached to our um, unhealthy or unconscious or, you know, our history, our past, so that we can be these open vessels for, for love and acceptance and devotion, really, to, this, to the sacred, to the source, to our souls, to our highest purpose, our dharma. And again, it's a bit like the singing, isn't it? Uh, yoga, it doesn't matter if you can't get into the perfect shapes, just like it doesn't matter if you right. can't sing the perfect notes. Uh, the whole mm-hmm. idea here is to move your body and to practice that devotion. And again, I think that's something I loved about the practice is it was accessible to everybody. It wasn't just people who yes. were amazing at yoga. No, exactly. And what, what does that even mean? I've seen people who can do the, the most incredible yoga asana shapes, but their life is a complete mess or they're just not very nice people. So it's like, <laughs> where's the, where's the balance? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do with your yoga? Yeah. And in fact, I've just um, been thinking about some of the classes because I think we did about eight, you know, in a very short space of time, nice. but they were so simple. It was just like forward folds, right? downward dogs, lots of, yeah. um, sitting in between the poses yeah. as well and one of the teachers i wish i could remember the the lady's name but she just she got us to do some very simple poses and then she got us to sit still and she said it's so important to honor the transition and i thought wow yeah. that that is a metaphor isn't it absolutely the transition between poses the transition between relationships between breaths between it all we're so quick to you know move from thing to thing. And then there's that sweet space in the middle that if we're rushing too much, we miss. And that's where we assimilate. That's where we integrate our knowledge and we turn our knowledge into wisdom. And we let go of the things that don't serve. Like that transition is essential. Mm. Oh my goodness. Beautiful. Elle, I feel like I could chat to you for like weeks i know but i know you've having got, great chats you've probably got another class to go to so i'm going to finish <laughs> up yeah. uh, just yeah. by asking you three quick questions which I ask every woman that appears on this podcast the first one is uh, about books which book have you gifted the most hmm. uh physically i have gifted the alchemist the most that's a great book just because it's little and it's easy. I know a lot of travelers and it's easy for them to travel with. And yeah, The Alchemist would be the one for sure. Yeah, that's a brilliant book. I haven't read that for a long time. Mm. It's one you can go back to yeah. a lot as well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It meets you where you're at every time. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Who, hopefully um, not a relative, but doesn't matter if it is, in present day mm-hmm. history, myth, legend, who is your most inspirational woman? Hmm. Uh, I, in regards to, uh, you know, what we've been talking about, there's a, there's a woman, I believe she's German. Her name is Deva Primal and she has an exquisite voice and the way that she is able to transmit mantra and melody into emotion and feeling. Yeah. She is an incredibly inspiring woman 
for sure. Um, also, like, they're really the people that inspire me the most are singers, and it doesn't surprise me at all because the voice is um, is such an inspiring tool, and when you use it correctly, that's the the raw, such a raw, exposing, vulnerable way to express yourself. And I would also I would also say um, Ella Fitzgerald or Carmen McRae, they're jazz singers. Mm. And I just yeah, singers or really simply my nine-year-old niece is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, what's her name? Her name's Ellie May. Ellie May, even your namesake. Ellie May. I know. A little right? bit as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so spooky about Deva because somebody only yesterday, Elle, for the first ah. time sent me uh, one of her videos. So um, cool. I'm obviously being guided to to look her yeah. up. You need to sit with her for a bit. She's amazing, yeah. Okay, and final question, which yeah. song for you, it doesn't necessarily have to be a mantra, but it can be, which song for you sums up everything we've spoken about today? Mm, that's a huge question. It's massive. Um, I think that I would, uh, I listen, I mostly these days just listen to mantra, but if I'm not, I, um, I'd probably listen to this, he's an Australian singer-songwriter, his name is Matt Corby. And he has a song called Miracle Love. And I just feel like I've been listening to his his latest album for the last few months. And that's sitting quite nicely with me. He's He transitioned from, you know, a tough time in the music industry until, until now having more of a um, secluded, quiet life. He's got a, a partner and a child now. And I feel like that transition from, you know, um, hard living to... To the space that he's in now is really encapsulated in that that song miracle love so yeah miracle love by matt corby brilliant i'm <laughs> going to be looking that up as well yeah <laughs> l thanks so much for the chat if people want to find out more about you i know you're on instagram um yeah. and people can just come and find you at the practice as well can't they in bali you exactly. have if you're in bali if you're in changu you must 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 go to the practice yeah it's an incredible space and i'm so lucky to have met you there thanks again for the chat l Thank you so much, Joe. Take care. I'm Joe Wise, and you've been listening to Wise Women, the podcast. You can follow Wise Women on Instagram, Facebook, and the website www.wisewomen.org.uk. Remember, wise is spelt with a Y. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I look forward to you joining me next time for another Wise Women episode.